You know, it's common for us all to want love and admiration. I consider this as I was watching SportsCenter and talking about Drew Brees' retirement. And retired football players say, you know what they miss, what they can't get, is the roar of the crowd as they come out of the tunnel. On Valentine's, we like to be recognized by classmates or other people. And I don't know if you remember what you were giving uh, when you were in grade school. Uh, do we still give these candy hearts that, for me, never really tasted good but had those simple messages? I didn't enjoy them. Giving Ninja Turtle cards to someone with uh, some candy or airheads, right? And we all want something. We want someone to recognize that we're important to them. And sometimes, love is shown in a wonderful way. And sometimes there are those romantic, epic love stories, like the way this guy loved. This is the Christian classic, The Princess Bride. Sometimes there is dear old Wesley who knows how to do anything for Princess Buttercup, including coming back from mostly dead. And so if you're looking on how to scratch the itch of what it is to love, do it with a tagline, as you wish, as you love that other person. Yes, sometimes people know how to love us. But then if love is not given, if we don't receive what we need in the moment, it can be detrimental to say the least. When you consider an infant who is born, and if they don't get all the cuddling and soothing and the rocking and the attention that they need, if they don't get that close contact, what doctors know is they can form something called reactive attachment disorder. That if that six months is not just smothered with kind of love, uh, you can grow up not trusting adults, not smiling, being withdrawn, because that's just how much love is needed. But love isn't just needed as an infant, it's needed as a teenager. A teenager who's trying to figure out who are my people and who actually likes me and who am I? Do I like myself? And love is needed as a married couple. Unfortunately, sometimes when marriage goes wrong, you can feel unloved, even in the context of a marriage. What's up with that? Love is needed in the later years. We consider this time during COVID and those who are in hospice that don't have that contact, don't have those people, and, and we see the effects of that, that they need care too. And so because we all need love and admiration, I wanted to ask you on Valentine's 2021, how loved are you? And what I'd invite you to do is not to gauge it by what you received today. I invite you not to gauge it by if you got flowers or a card or chocolates, if they said exactly the right thing or if they remembered at all. Um, I invite you to, to gauge it based on the love of God. And so that's why we're in this place. And, and by the way, um, if you're new today, if you've just joined us online, we are, we're so happy that you're here. And one of the greatest things that we can show you is not the love of any person, but the love of Jesus Christ. And how loved are you when it comes to what he has done? I want you to consider this passage, what Paul says. He says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. The love of God goes beyond even what we know. And so if you're taking notes, this is the takeaway. You are loved more than you know and more than you will ever know. 
in Jesus Christ. And so today we're at the 12-year anniversary of uh, Amazing Love. And can we just praise God for the blessings of 12 years? And we've been on a journey trying to tell everyone who's come in contact with this ministry of the incredible love of God. And uh, to get back to where we were at one point, uh, this is when it all began in 2009, Valentine's Weekend. Uh, it is then that we were meeting in Hickory Creek Middle School. Um, and we started this sermon series called A Love Unlike Any Other. And, um, and, and, and there we are, wonderful people. And on that day, I remember promising that um, I was not going to point you to a person. I was not going to point you to a program. But that as Christ's ambassador, I would point you continually to the love of God. And tell you that there is nothing like it and nothing better. And 12 years later, here we are. And in recognition of our anniversary, what I have saved for us this morning is what I believe is the sweetest portion of the heart of God. What I believe, if you understand it, if you get this, you will start to understand why not even a mother's love can compare to the love that God has for us. So today we get into Romans chapter 5. And we have Paul leading us on the love of God. And because we do think it is God speaking to us, I want to invite you to stand as we hear these words. So here Paul says, So you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. Can you say the yellow with me? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we are God's enemies, we are reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. These are the incredible words we get to talk about. Before you sit down, could you turn to the person next to you and say, You are loved. You are loved. Please be seated. So I wonder, has anyone heard of this man, uh, Leslie Kofelt? Leslie Kofelt. We historians. A little bit about him. Um, he grew up in Virginia, the Shenandoah Valley. Um, he was a World War II vet, and after that war became part of the Secret Service. Uh, he was around during the time of President Harry Truman. And uh, during that time in the 50s, the United States and Puerto Rico were kind of engaged in some conversations. Puerto Rico nationalists has risen, risen up, uh, not wanting any of the United States' help or care. Uh, in fact, wanting to kind of throw off the oppression of the United States. And President Harry Truman had tried to create order on that island, um, kind of quashed that national rebellion. Now, because of this, the nationalists from Puerto Rico came to D.C., and while the White House was being worked on and that President Truman was at the Blair House, they attempted to kill the president. Now, Leslie Kofalt was working that day and part of the Secret Service. And the good news is the assassination attempt did not work. That's why you don't know about the death of President Truman. The bad news is that 
It cost his life. Kofelt was on guard and shot during the time when those nationalists were trying to take the life of the president. One of the only ones who's died in the Secret Service in guard for the president. And I bring up his story because it mirrors what God is telling us today. God had told us through the words of Paul, look at this, that very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. So when it comes to a president, the importance of the presidency, someone might possibly say, you know what, he's worth my life. It's what many parents think of their children. In fact, in Colorado there was an apartment fire, and uh, this lady uh, went to work to save her children. Woke up in the middle of the night and uh, released her children through the window to her husband, but in the process, lost her life. We know what it is to guard important people. We know what it is to sacrifice for the precious people, those that we love so much. But when it comes to how God should view us, what are we to him? When it comes to how God should view us, are we as important as a president to him? When it comes to how God should view us, are we as precious as a child? What's so interesting about what Paul wrote and what he reveals about our natural state is this, that we weren't children, we weren't a president, we were sinners. We were sinners. And what does sin make us in front of God? What does our unrighteousness make us before our righteous God, our unholiness before a holy God, our lovelessness before the God of love? What does it make us? Well, see if you can guess. Here's an example. We are enemies. We are the polar opposite of good. We are against God. In fact, we are hostile to God because of our sinful nature. And so what is revealed in these words is this, that sin makes us God's enemies. In fact, we're not friendly to God by nature. We're not neutral. We're against the things of God. And there are two implications of this fact. The first implication is this, that it is impossible as an enemy to please God. Do you know that? It is impossible by nature for you to do anything that God would be like, yep, good job. Now, now sometimes I talk about this with Christians because when it comes to the Christian lifestyle, motivation matters. And, and so sometimes I use the example of motivations for giving flowers. And so it's Valentine's uh, weekend, and there's one motivation that works for giving flowers and one motivation that doesn't. Let's take the proper one first. So one motivation for giving flowers is waking up, saying, you know what? I'm going to make sure my bride knows how much she is loved. And by the way, money is no option. I'm going to make sure the flowers are not wilted. I'm going to go to the best store. I'm going to get a vase. And I'm not only going to get flowers, but I'm going to make sure that I write in words what she means to me. I'm going to wait for that right moment when she needs to hear those words and my whole day is set on making sure she knows she is loved. Now, does that work when giving flowers in general? I hope so. <laughs> There's another motivation for giving flowers. 
So I happen to be at Jewel five days after Valentine's. And I'm picking up all the things that I want for myself. And, hey, look, flowers are like $5 for 24 I don't want to lose money on this deal. So I pick up the flowers. I get home and throw them on the table. Hey, babe, got some flowers? And I rush upstairs. Is she impressed by my display of affection? Does this work? No! Because what she wants is your heart. What she wants is the motivation behind it. So why is it that sinners cannot please God? Because without faith, you cannot love God. And so it doesn't matter what you're doing. Without love for God, it cannot be acceptable. It is not good. In fact, the prophet Isaiah would say this, that all of us have become like one who's unclean, and even our righteous acts, the things that we think are like flowers, look at what I gave, because the heart isn't behind it. It's ugly. They're wilted. I don't want them. But this is what makes God's love so good. Because what we're finding is this, that God loves us though we gave him nothing. Even the flowers, the good things we'd want to give him and say, look, here it is. He's like, what what are you talking about? You don't love me. I'm reminded of this old hymn, Rock of Ages. And I wanted to read you um, some lyrics from Rock of Ages. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Rock of ages, cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. What are we before God? We are beggars in need of bread. We have nothing and require everything if he might only have mercy. What is the second implication of being an enemy of God? Unfortunately, we are powerless. We're powerless. We we can do nothing. In Ephesians, it says, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. And and, and here, you think of what what a dead person can do to get to God. What can a dead thing do? A dead thing can do nothing. In fact, I recognize this um, whenever we have an infant baptism, the powerlessness of an infant. If you have an infant or if you've had an infant, uh, you know how reliant they are on you to feed them, to change them, to rock them, to cuddle them, to do all those things that are required. They cannot fend for themselves. And in the ministry of amazing love, uh, always our favorite moments are infant baptism. And maybe you've been here for some. Maybe some of your children were baptized. Because what we recognize in that moment is there is one who can do nothing for themselves. They're born in sin, and yet God does everything through the washing of rebirth and renewal. He gives the gift of the Holy Spirit, as Peter said on Pentecost, and now to a helpless things makes him alive. And so why is God's love so good? God's love means mercy, even though we could do nothing. Mercy for those who are powerless, unable to save themselves. But I'm, I'm still not over the idea of enemy because if you've ever had an enemy in your life, I don't know who it is, whether it's a political party, whether it's someone in your family, whether it's a friend, a school, someone, I know it is common for us to want to do to enemies. Right? 
In fact, when it comes to what is common and what we want to do to enemies, I consider a, a great story, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know if any of you have ever read it, seen it. It's been around for a while. Give, give you a little bit of the premise of it. Uh, there was a, a man, Edmund, uh, um, Edmund de Dantes, uh, who is accused of treason, even though he's engaged to this lovely gal, Mercedes. And while he's accused of tre treason, he's thrown into jail, the Chateau d'If, which is like a, a, a worse Alcatraz. And uh, while he's away, his fiance is stolen by Mondego. And while he's in prison, Mondego marries Mercedes. Well, he eventually escapes, Edmund Dantes, becomes the Count of Monte Cristo. And the reason this, this show is so satisfying, or this book, is because it's all about him exacting revenge. It's all about his plans to get his gal back and to make it as painful as possible for Mondego, who did this in the first place. Satisfying. Ha ha. You root for him along the way. And that's what it is to have an enemy. That's what it is naturally to feel this way against someone. And so it's just striking when we come to this verse and we pick it apart and we say, while we were sinners, which means enemies, Christ up with us? Didn't make it as bad as it could have been? No, it's a shocker. <laughs> he would die for us? It makes absolutely no logical sense. It is incomprehensible to humans, and yet this is the epicenter of the love of God. And this is the reason he is better than mom, and he is better than dad, and he is better than my uh, fiancé, and he's better than my spouse, and he's better than my kids, because even those people struggle to do this. And what this means is that Jesus signed up for all of my sin and its punishment. For all the times I was loveless. For the times that sin brought guilt and shame. For the times I didn't want to do God's will, didn't care about what he thought, or didn't do good things. And that's the same for you. He looks at all the worst that you've ever done. And he says, I'll take care of that. Because I love you. And how does Jesus prove love? It goes beyond flowers and chocolates and notes. It is true love and sacrifice the hardest kind of love. To be abandoned by his father. To be tortured and flogged. To be crucified. All so that you could know this simple fact. You will never be more loved than in Jesus. There's not a valentine that exists, not a card you could get, not flowers that can eclipse what he has done for you. And I want you to know, if you are watching, if you're new here, that this was for you. It doesn't matter what your sin was. It doesn't matter how opposed you thought you were to God. He has now invited you to come into the family. To be completely clean. He has traded your filthy rags and given you a robe of righteousness. All through faith. All by seeing Jesus as your Savior. Free of cost. Credited to your account. He calls you child. And he's going to be with you both now 
and forever. How good is the love of God. But there are implications then for how we can live in light of this love. Implications for uh, the way we walk as we go forward. And I want to talk about how this might affect your daily walk going forward. And talk about this. I want to bring up um, uh, two characters during the Rwandan genocide. Um, Here they are. Uh, Please forgive me if I mispronounce their names. Their names are Nadesaba and Merkaranda, a gentleman and a gal. And um, this gentleman was part of the Hutu clan, and this gal was part of the Tutsi clan during the Rwandan genocide. And if you know anything about this period of history, the Hutus set out to eliminate all the Tutsis. And that meant that uh, this man, who was classmate of this gal, went to kill her. And as she tried to stop him, cut off her hand, and you see that in this picture. This man actually uh, killed her infant and left her to die. But this man, after being imprisoned, felt remorse for what he had done and was on a journey to ask for forgiveness to all those who had affected. And in this journey, came across this gal once again and asked if he could be forgiven. Can you imagine that moment? Can you imagine forgiving that? She did. And because of this, they went on to start a charity. They are vice president and secretary for a charity that builds houses for the misplaced Hutu tribe, or sorry, the Tutsi tribe. And they work together now to fight against what happened before. Those who had every reason to hate each other, now at peace, and working side by side. This is an example of reconciliation. Reconciliation, a definition, is two warring parties who are now brought together and have peace. And Paul says this, not only is this so that that Christ died for us, but we boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ because we have received reconciliation What the love of God means is this. There is peace between what would have been enemies. And how does that affect your daily walk? I was listening to a sermon the other day, and the pastor was going on about how God wants you to succeed. And it just kind of stuck in my mind. God wants you to succeed. And he wasn't using it in like the prosperity gospel type of messaging where he wants you to succeed so you're going to get the house you want and the car you want and make as much money as you want and, you know, basically live the American dream. That, that, that is a, a false teaching, by the way. God is not a cosmic genie. He's not just here to grant your every wish, um, even though you're blessed when you follow him. But anyway, but, but I, I had this idea of God wants you to succeed. And it made me think, why wouldn't God want me to be a good Christian? Why wouldn't he want me to be a light in this world? Why wouldn't he want me to be a good father and husband and pastor? And so with you. Why right now wouldn't God want you to succeed as a Christian in whatever vocation you find yourself in? To be the best employer, employee, to be the best student. Why wouldn't he want that? In fact, it's something we sing in Amazing Love. There's a song called The Blessing. 
And maybe you've learned it and you've grown to, to sing it with us. And you think of in the blessing how often we just repeat, He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. He is for you. And the reason this is so significant, at least to me, is because when the devil gets me down, it is when something bad happens and he starts this wrestling match and he says, oh, because he knows what you did. Look at it blow up in your face. But, but what if I had the strength to believe that when things go wrong because we live in a sinful world, God is still for me? What if I, I still believed he wants me to succeed? And so here, I think, is a, a takeaway, that God is for us even when life is the darkest. He, he's no longer out to punish you. He's no longer out to get you because you were a sinner. Jesus took that. You consider the life of a man named Stephen. Stephen was a part of the early Christian church, and uh, he was used incredibly by God. He did signs and wonders, and he was a teacher. It was incredible. And, and there was this time where he gave this magnificent confession of who God was through the Old Testament and Jesus Christ. But the people didn't want to hear it. And because the people didn't want to hear it, they picked up stones to take his life. And while that was happening, God reminded Stephen that he was for him. And so it records that the gates of heaven opened and he was able to see Jesus at the right hand of God. And when the stones were thrown at him and he lost his life, because he knew God was with him, he even said, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, which reminds us of Jesus. Yes, God is for us, even in our darkest. It's what Paul knew. Paul, who was imprisoned for the faith, Paul, who went on in this letter to write these words, what shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? Who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all? How will he not also along with us graciously give us all things? You know, at the 12-year anniversary of Amazing Love, what if we continued to believe that God was for us? What if we continue to believe that he wants us to succeed? Why wouldn't he? And do we have enough reason to see that he has already blessed us and been with us? When we consider our history and just a handful of people meeting in a basement that leads to 60 in worship. When we consider we were at Hickory Creek for only three years and then soon enough got a permanent place. When we consider all the lives we were able to interact with along the way to either renew the faith, create the faith, or strengthen the faith as God so worked through his means. To know that even in this pandemic, we have reached out like never before because of an online presence. God has shown his faithfulness through the gifts, and we had our banner year financially, our biggest year financially, even though it was during the pandemic. To know that even now, we are building and planning to call a second pastor. Wow! What if we continued to believe that God is for us? But there's more we could do with the ramifications of this lesson. And when it comes to this, um, I think God is calling us to, to look out for those who may be our enemies. 
See, in our first lesson, this is what he told us. He said, love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who mistreat you. God often calls us to be what is needed in this world. And so when we consider all the the, the factions of our world right now, when we consider all of the hate and mistrust, when we consider those who would call themselves enemies, what is God calling us to do? I think it's pursuing his love by loving enemies. Which means maybe there is someone who otherwise you had thought of writing off that maybe you should reconsider and pray for. Someone who had done something so unfathomable, you know, like I could never forgive, and maybe God is asking you not to condone it, but to forgive it. To those who have hurt us, to love them the way God loved us. For while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You know, this is what the Christian church did with a man named Saul. I told you of Stephen. And what's really incredible in the book of Acts, it also records where Saul was. Meanwhile, there were witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. That Saul is who we know to be Paul. He was enemy number one for the Christian church. He was standing by as Stephen was killed. And the reason that he is able to continue on with his ministry is because those Christians did for us what God did for them. They forgave their enemy. And they went forward together. And Paul was used in an incredible way. Dear friends, it's Valentine's Day. And regardless of what you received, you've never been more loved. I hope that sinks in very deep in your soul. But now, having been loved, may you know God is for you, even on the dark days. And may he inspire you to give to others the kind of love that you've received. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for revealing these powerful words to me about your heart. Help me to live loved. Help me to live knowing you're on my side. But Lord, also empower me to look at all around me and love as you love. It's what the world needs as we point them finally to you. In Jesus' name, amen.